Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of the last 200 episodes. <laughs> this is our 200th episode. That's it. We've, uh, well, it's 200th book book episode, 200th book. Awesome. In all honesty, it's probably somewhere between 194 and 203 books. We sort of lost count, but we're, we're pretty close to 200 books that we've done, read and reviewed and summarized on the podcast. Well, I thought it was a 200th episode. No, we're doing about two, 280. Yeah. Well, no one's counting. We're just doing an episode. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> exactly. So, what we did after our 100th book uh, was we did our top 10 lessons. Uh, and I actually listened back to that today on the way over here. And it actually holds up. The lessons are pretty legit. So, some of the lessons like you're going to die someday, the importance of curiosity, listen before you talk, you're either remarkable or you're invisible. Uh, and long-term satisfaction far outweighs instant gratification. I think they all hold up pretty pretty well. Mm. Yeah, they're pretty perennial items that a lot of books, a lot of that first hundred in particular, uh, touch on in one way or another. So what we're doing today is since then, uh, we're sort of not a full line in the sand, but just a bit of a dotted line. And we're going to mostly talk about the, the new lessons we've learned from the next 100 books that we've done for the podcast. And we started with 10, but we sort of grouped a few together and we've got down to actually three meta lessons. So last time we went pretty shallow, but wide. This time we've gone a bit narrower and a bit deeper. So right now through the magic of podcasting, we've planned ahead and We've got a few episodes up the sleeve. So, Melbourne right now, we're just hitting another stage four lockdowns um, and that means basically we can't just do anything. We're just <laughs> locked, locked inside. Exactly. Five, we're in a five, five kilometer bubble. You can't go more than five Ks from your house and because we live about 15 Ks away, that means uh, no recording podcasts. But luckily, yeah, as you say, the magic of podcasting, we sort of thought ahead that mm. who knows what could happen. We've got about eight recorded up the sleeve. So, you won't even notice any difference, hopefully. Yeah, and we were just giving ourselves a bit of a pat on the back and self-congratulatory <laughs> anti-fragility <laughs> because uh, I think it does touch on the concept really well right now is you know, the idea of anti-fragility, you're meant to benefit from chaos and disorder. And uh, I think we're both in positions now where we can do projects no matter what, even if our day job goes down and goes through a lull. I think today I was like hoping that... <laughs> <laughs> go through a lull so we could just focus on the book even more. So no matter what happens, then you know we can benefit from it. Too good. And actually even uh, reminds me of uh, when we interviewed Simon Sinek and did his book, The Infinite Game, and he talked about the companies that sort of plan for the future and give himself a bit of a buffer. They're the ones who are best able to weather the storm. So it was the ones who are saving a little bit uh, in good times. So when the bad times hit, they're ready compared to the ones who are just always living very close to the edge. As soon as the bad times come, they're cooked. Okay, so in this episode, the three meta lessons we're going to go through, uh, should we drop them now or just... Yeah, we'll drop them now. Yeah. yeah, okay. First off, question the path. Second, some of the dichotomies that we've come across. And third, just scrolling now, what was the third? The myth of the silver bullet. The myth of the silver bullet. One of the books we both loved was Unscripted by MJ DeMarco. And what he does in this book is he really drills down on this final moment of your life and what is your spirit going to sing? Because we're all going to have this moment, it's going to be your last day, you're on your last breaths and you're thinking, fuck, right, what have I done this whole time? <laughs> so you could ask yourself, are you going to be singing regret or remorse or peace and happiness? And he really questions the path of, the, of what you're meant to do in the world, right? Like going to work nine to five, slaving away Monday to Friday, paying the bills, retiring and then just carking it and, and death and see you later and that's it and that's your whole life story. He says there is a very obvious script that we're meant to take throughout life. He says our future is scripted for us. It's like a rigged carnival game that's masquerading as 
choice and free will, but basically we, we go to school, uh, we try to get good grades so we can get into a good college, get a good degree, work hard, regardless of the cost, regardless of the demand for jobs, you work hard, you get a job, you work hard, you climb the ranks, you grow a little bit older, the clock starts ticking, so you start to have a family, so you've got to work even harder to support them, you get a couple of weeks vacation every year, you get get a bit older again, uh, you're trying to raise your kids, you're trying to climb the career corporate ladder, eventually you get to the time where you think, oh, I'm about to retire soon, that I can enjoy life, then you realize, hang on, my super got wiped out, my savings got wiped out, I'm going to have to keep working, keep growing older, uh, keep trying to save money to retire one day. And basically, he says that that's a scripted path that we all follow and most people never even question it. Yeah, and and he talks about the litmus test on Sunday night, like how much how much misery have you got about the following Monday morning. And a lot of people will go through their whole entire lives like having a bit of misery about that and never actually changing anything. So as human beings, we are conformists by default and we do try and stick to the group to sometimes quite wild extremes. And like we did explore the stream really, I think, in Ordinary Men. Yeah. And again, through the man, the man, you might not have heard Ordinary Men yet, actually. They might be coming, might be coming up in about two weeks. <laughs> this is where the flaws of when our pre-recording might be coming back to Hornus. But in the book, it's about how during the Second World War, when the German army, they were very low on resources. They were doing the war with Russia to the east, and they were doing the war with England and the Allies to the, the west. And at the same time, so they're doing those two wars, and at the same time, they're looking to do the final solution and kill all the Jews in uh, Europe at the time. So they had hardly anyone to do the job, so they had to go into the general population, get Joe the butcher, Susie the primary school teacher, Jimmy the bus rider, or the equivalent <laughs> of those in the 1940s, whatever occupation that might be, and get them down to do some of the most heinous crimes all of human history. And all the Joe Blows, like you know, like you listening now, or me, you, Ash Joe, you think you're a pretty good person, but if you're put under these set of circumstances, what this book shows is that human beings can conform to rationalize all sorts of bullshit behavior to the point they're just shooting pregnant women and children dead. That's a real um, uplifting episode for you to look forward to in the next <laughs> couple of weeks. But this, uh, it does really outline that, hey, just these normal people you'd think, you might think you yourself, you're a normal person, you'd never do anything like that. But from the pressures to conform to the group, from the, the pressures that everybody was using on these people, that ultimately uh, it's you know more than 90% conformed, more than 90% just went along with what everyone else was doing. So it shows that that could be you. You could be one of those people if you don't question the path. Mm, so we're inevitably looking for status and recognition. So let's not uh, deny that that's part of you, who you, what you're really looking for. And Robert Green touches on it in Mastery that all of us, we've got this really unique DNA, this unique seed, one-time phenomena in the whole universe that you know you are never going to be around in the future and you've never been around in the past. So you need to cultivate this unique seed, but there's always going to be these conformist pressures telling you to do things like everyone else is doing. Yeah, he talks about you know your, your parents have got an idea for what they think your future should be. Your teachers have got an idea about what they think you should be doing. Your bosses, your coaches, uh, whoever else is a figure of authority in your life, they've got an idea, they've got a path laid out for you and there's always uh, pressures for you to conform to their ideals. I think one of the biggest norms in society that we all follow and don't question is probably drinking alcohol, I'd say. Oh, shit, that's us right now. We're drinking alcohol right now. <laughs> And we haven't really questioned it. Well, it is quite interesting. We've both had a good stint off booze. Mm. We thought it was better. We enjoyed it more. You wake up Definitely. better. 
Uh, you enjoy social occasions more and everything like that. But look at us. We've been pulled back down to the conformist drones. <laughs> having a Johnny and plant. We have. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's one that uh, I guess it's, that's one good example of that there is this normal path normal you know quote unquote normal that everybody's doing it so you should be doing it too and you're just going along with the herd going along with what everybody else is doing your your parents are drinking alcohol your neighbors are drinking alcohol when you go to the play footy on the weekends everybody's drinking alcohol after work everybody at work's drinking alcohol uh then you just think that well that's what everyone's doing so that's the path so i'm going to jump on it well the first time i quit that was a big reason to think that every saturday night and every friend's birthday or a wedding or any kind of social occasion mm. they have to just get shit face and blind yeah it's pretty sad to think about it like all the high moments of your life you're not actually there and you're not even present so if anyone is open to questioning one of the biggest paths that goes unquestioned we recommend reading mm. or listening to the easy way to control your alcohol episode we had a lot of feedback on. i that think one. that was one of the, the best episodes in terms of direct action that people took from it and people getting in touch and I, we probably we can't do it justice now we're not going to cure you just from listening to this snippet but i'd say go back and listen to that full episode because um, mm. it's a pretty powerful book yeah well we had sixty thousand uh, downloads i think of yeah. that one and uh yeah a lot of people loads of people still messaging just saying they've quit alcohol for good yeah so that's uh, at the individual level also at the career level one of the books we did was The Blue Ocean Strategy and it was a business book yeah. at the time and it speaks about how in red ocean industries, the places where you're competing with others, everybody is just getting a thinner and thinner slice of the of the pie that's getting crowded. The prospects of growth is really decreasing. Products become commodities and what you need to do from a business level is go out there and sail to the blue oceans where there's untapped market space. Yeah, when there's vicious competition, everybody's just attacking each other, trying to tear each other down. The, the ocean gets uh, stained by this red blood of all the losers, but everyone's still fighting. If you're in that red ocean, it's just a battle. The only way to do it is to swim or sail to some clear water, some blue ocean that isn't corrupted by the competition and make something that is your own. The book is a is a business book, but I think that analogy you can take to anything, and we've sort of taken it here to a, a career and shoehorned it just to thinking, hey, if you're if you're on the same path as everybody else and you're just fighting with the, the people on your level to try to get to the next level up, it's going to be a bloody battle. A much better path is to go blue ocean, do something different, do something that other people aren't doing, and something that you can sort of plant your flag and say, hey, this is this is my area. I think we've used this example before, but say. Uh, in my year level, a lot of people would watch the movies of the rich lawyer, you know, charging shitloads of money per billable hour. Um, and so they went down that path, all the smartest people getting the perfect end scores. And then through university, there was the most competition there. And then they went into their graduate fields and there was hardly any jobs left for the most talented people. And all of a sudden, because even though they got 99 perfect end scores, they were still working at cafes as baristas and whatnot just because they chose a red ocean rather than a blue ocean. And I think you can apply it to a lot of careers. I think structural engineering, my industry right now, that's a very competitive field, uh, right for any kind of disruption as well. So the kappa there is that uh, scarcity creates value or the, the fishing is best where the fewest go. Rather than uh, jumping in that red ocean, there's not going to be many fish left swimming around. It's better to go to the blue ocean and, and catch a nice big uh, snapper. I think it takes... Is snapper's big? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a fisherman. Uh, yeah, no, snappers, the snappers can get very big. Yeah. They go the full range from a tiny little 
little sperm size <laughs> or egg. I suppose everything starts at that size. They do yeah. and they get pretty big. But I think it takes a lot of courage. to. It's easier said than done to mm. question and choose a new path and be contrarian when the whole group is going one way. I think uh, by default as a human being, you want to follow in, you want to fit in and mm. all that. But you get to think about if scarcity creates value and you're following anyone, there's no scarcity whatsoever in what you're doing. So by default, being different has high value and you know it's really the only way to let your unique seed flourish into something that's going to give something nice to the world. To round out this section, uh, we've talked about uh, the final solution of the ordinary men going to kill pregnant Jewish women. We've talked, we've talked about the bloody ocean of the, the red ocean of competition. Let's just finish it off with a nice little Dr. Seuss, something very different to both of those things, uh, where he talked about when we, we did the book, Oh, the Places You Go, which is a very short six-minute read of a, a kid's book that we pulled some, some pretty profound life lessons out of. I think one is just saying, be proactive, take responsibility. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what you know and you are the one who'll decide where to go. So I think just to tie these all together that there is the normal way of doing things. There's a normal way to get a job. There's a normal way to get good grades. There's a normal way to learn things. There's a normal way to start a business. But just because it's the normal way, just because that's the way that everybody else is doing, that doesn't mean it's the only way and it certainly doesn't mean that it's the best way. So taking a bit of Dr. Seuss, if you look at the path, question the path, you've got the ability to choose your own path and do something a little bit different. I went through a patch where a lot of my favorite books were were these books that I th- that give you sort of like in either or, they give you this dichotomy, they give you a bit of a filter or a lens through which to view your actions and decisions. Say like Lynchpin by Seth Godin, you're either a linchpin or you're a cog. Or say like Range by David Epstein, you're either a generalist or a specialist. In Originals, you're either an original or a conformist. Uh, in The Slight Edge, you're either a millionaire or a beach bum. In The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you've got the things that are either in the circle of influence or the circle of concern. I think you really like those ideas where you've got Either or you can say, okay, which am I going to take? Which path am I going to take? Which of these things am I going to be moving more towards? And we sort of extrapolated that a bit as well because not just within books, but then also you've got books that one book will say one thing and one book will say something completely different, but actually they're sort of both true. Mm, Definitely. I think every single rule that you come across in a book, there's any kind of uh, sweeping statement you'll eventually come to another book that has a sweeping statement in the (laughs) opposite opposite direction. (laughs) And once you've swept in both directions, you're like, why don't I just read those two books? (laughs) (laughs) No, but in all reality, reality, I think uh, what you can take away from both is that both books are kind of like a tool in in the toolkit. Mm. There's different situations that are going to pop up into your life and depending on whatever arises, you can take the right tool and, and apply it as you need. Yeah, exactly. I think it just goes to show that no one book has all of the answers and it's just more uh, confirming to ourselves that just we need to keep reading more and more and more because I think the more different things you learn, even though some of them are going to contradict, they're sort of like different pieces of the jigsaw puzzle or as you say, different tools in the toolkit that you can whip out when the right moment arises. So the first one we're going to look at is to do with career and it's on the question, should you stay in your lane or should you be changing your lane? And I think it's a question we both had a lot before we started reading. Like, you know, a lot of people were telling me to stick to engineering, stick here, try and work 60, 70 hour weeks purely just on engineering and you'll go past all the other people uh, in your career and your colleagues and all that and then you'll get better opportunities. Yeah, well, that can certainly hold true. If you 
if there's a clear path ahead of you and you can work really hard, if you can work harder than everybody else and get better than everybody else, then that's one way to win that game and that's one way to succeed in that area. But there's a different approach as well, which is rather than getting one thing that you go really narrow on and really specialize in is you go broad and you try different things and cobble different ideas together and it's a, it's a different game altogether. Yeah, both can work. So say if you were to stay in your lane, there's a few things on your side. If you look at the Matthew effect, and this is from, um, you'll know it off by heart, you're actually <laughs> Matthew 25, verse 29. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But for him that hath not shall be taken away, even <laughs> which he hath. That's it. I think the haths aren't fucking necessary. <laughs> but I was just saying, if, you, if you're already in the top certain percentage, then you're going to get a disproportionate amount of opportunities. If you're at the bottom, everything's going to be taken away from you <laughs> and you're basically cooked. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, the rich get richer. Once you've got money, it's easy to get more money or once you're, you're succeeding and you're at the top of the career, then more opportunities are coming your way. And so this is from my uh, one of your favorite authors, Malcolm Gladwell, the book Outliers. He talks about this Matthew effect and he talks about the 10,000 hours rule. If you can, if you've got a certain skill that you want to develop or a certain area that you want to get really good at, put in a shitload of effort, 10,000 hours of practice, give or take. And if you can get really, really good and get to the top of your field, then all the opportunities are going to come to you. Yeah, all you got to do is get to 10,000 hours before your colleagues do, and then you're going to get a disproportionate amount of opportunities. But mate, that's a lot of hours to get through, 10,000. There's a lot of determination and hard effort or as uh, Angie Duckworth has labeled grit to, to get you to that point. Yeah, it is. A, it can be a big slog. You're probably going to feel like giving up at some point. But if you've got grit, if you've got the right combination of uh, passion plus perseverance that you can stick through, you can see a goal. And even when times get tough, you can keep pushing and keep working through to accumulate those hours. That's a, a great combination to have the, the deliberate practice of outliers, combine that with the grit to get you through the tough times and you can get to the top. So according to this path and what Angela Duckworth says, effort counts for everything, just sticking at it and eventually you'll get there and it's all about persistence. Even if you're not getting runs on the board, eventually you will if you've just got enough grit. And me and you, Ash Joe, we, uh, we both did this grit assessment by Angela Duckworth and we scored very horribly here. Mm. So if we were just looking <laughs> through this lens or this side of the dichotomy, you'd think we'd be pretty much bums on the street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thankfully, Maybe we will be. <laughs> Thankfully, years. like there's again, we can take some parts of grit, <laughs> the ones that work for us. Let's take those, and the the other parts of grit say that you need grit all the time to get you to the top. Let's just forget about those. We'll narrate those out of our yeah. our toolkit. Well, according to her, anything to do with changing lanes means you're a quitter. You just quit things and you can't <laughs> stick at it. So if you change your lanes, then you then you're in a pretty bad way. Yeah. So the opposite approach was. Uh, in range, David Epstein, he actually had a, a chapter, you know, saying, is there a problem with too much grit? And he was saying that it's not so much you either have grit or you don't have grit. It's more of a matter of when do you have grit? So in some areas, you're going to have grit. In some areas, you're not. So for me, when it's uh, climbing the corporate ladder in corporate banking, I had very, very little grit there. But then when it comes to four and a half years of podcasting on the weekend, I did have a lot of grit there. So it's not just like uh, an, a catch-all. You either have high grit or you've got low grit. If you've got no grit, then you're cooked. If you've got high grit, you're going to be a superstar. It's just a matter of when do you apply that grit. Yeah, it's having low grit, I think, just, just to try and weave them together until you've got a good domain fit. Mm. If you haven't found your jam, then it's good to have very little grit. But if you found something that's kind of resonating with who you are, you might as well stick it out even through bad results. And then most likely because you 
are fond of whatever profession it is, you could probably work hard from weekends. You could work before or after work and you're much more likely to get there. Another ride I've been on is to do with niceness. Very early days, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. So did you. And a lot of the book is all about becoming genuinely interested in other people and not just talking yourself, just listening to them, speaking about what they're interested in, making them feel important. And there's a good example. He speaks about dogs and how as an animal, they're probably best placed in the world because they've learned this skill more than any other mammal. Yeah, all they have to do is uh, take an interest in you, show you some love. Even the, you know, hens have to lay eggs, cows have to make milk, canaries have to sing, but dogs, all they have to do is give a bit of love, show a bit of interest in you and, and you're going to feed them, you're going to house them, you're going to give them pats. So the dogs have really mastered this. Mm, and some humans have as well. When they're genuinely so excited to see you, mm. it is a good feeling. So you want to be that person who's excited to see everyone and then uh, with that, they're going to probably treat you much better and it's a good way of making a lot of friends. Yeah, that is a. I think a, having that element of niceness, as you say, the important thing there is genuine niceness. You can't. I think people can see through it when you're trying to fake it. But if you've got that genuine interest in other people, that can be a thing that very that works very well in your favour. So after reading that book, I was like always asked, like, why do some successful people, some CEOs, classic entrepreneurs like your Steve Jobs and what that? They, why are they all pricks? <laughs> why are they all pricks? That's that's hundred percent right. And I started to see it in myself, trying to be nice all the time, try to listen. I didn't really assert myself on conversations. I was just listening to everybody. And uh, through that, I think it had a positive effect in many ways, taking me from a narcissist to someone who had a bit of empathy, but then almost too much empathy that you're not asserting yourself on the world. And in Laws of Human Nature, Robert Greene does speak about the shadow. Having that element of you that is assertive and you've integrated this dark part of you that isn't always nice. And because of that, that's another tool to put in the toolkit. Yeah, uh, uh, our mate Machiavelli, we put a ban on saying Machiavelli and Machiavellian because we had no idea what it meant. So we thought, okay, it's time to do print so we can get an understanding of it. Now and we can whip it out. <laughs> now we can whip it out. We could claim that we know everything about Machiavelli. So one uh, big part about that book was saying that you need to be both man and beast. So in the majority of the time, you, you do need to have that nice, friendly exterior, that happy-go-lucky, the person that everybody likes. But every now and then, you might need to whip out that beast. You might need to either become a lion or a fox, be ready to tear someone's head off, be ready to sacrifice your niceness in, in, uh, in, and trade that in for effectiveness instead. I think a pertinent example right now in Melbourne, so the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, He's a pretty good bloke. If you met him at the pub, he'd be a very nice person. But right now, niceness isn't what's going to get him to do the job done and get rid of coronavirus in our state. He does need a bit of beast and a bit of fox, and that's really what he's done. And what Machiavelli said, you can't have good laws without good arms. And right now, he's bringing the military in yeah. and everything like that. So it's a lot of the darkness coming in as the only way to reinstore order. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's part of it. Like the good laws, that's the the friendly part about talking. Hey, we need to do this. Everyone needs to work together. Everybody needs to look out for each other. Saying what we should and shouldn't do. If you if you don't believe that there's going to be any actual um, anything bad that comes of not complying to that, people start to push the boundaries. You got people who are first. Firstly, they said you know people are getting tested, and before they find out the results are going out and about, they don't have developed that actually people were getting tested. They were getting told they're positive, and then still going out and about. Twenty five percent, man. Yeah, it's cooked. Yeah, it's cooked. That twenty five percent of people that were told that they've they're positive uh, were going out and about in in the public. So now it's time to whip out the arms. Time to whip out the line. We're about to enter our six weeks of hardcore lockdown. 
So we talked about questioning the path. We talked about that very obvious path that is the the most well-trodden path that everybody goes down. Uh, Good school, work hard, good grades, get a good job, get promoted, and at the end, retire. That's the very obvious path. Then you read a book like The 4-Hour Workweek or like Millionaire Fastlane, something you've never heard before and they offer you these ideas or like uh, or the $100 startup as well where you just think I can I can just go out there, I can quit my job, I can start up this side business and then I'll be, I'll be rich, I won't have to work ever again, it'll be phenomenal. Uh, it sounds like an, an awesome <laughs> different oh, path great, to take. Man. Yeah, I think the, the very start of The 4-Hour Workweek, it's him doing a story of just him winning the the tango championship or whatever <laughs> yeah and he hasn't had to work for a long time and, and whilst he was dancing he made three million bucks because <laughs> yeah, his internet right. business was ticking along on the side <laughs> that's right and then you look at the cover and there's just some bloke on a hammock In the with beach, a laptop on the side yeah. and um you just imagine anyone who's doing youtube ads to you to go and buy some amazon course or something <laughs> it's all i think the the four-hour work we planted this seed that's grown into this ridiculous forest now or a whole new business of people trying to buy that that dream. Yeah, and we're going to call this the 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 silver bullet, the thing that you know you just do this one thing, you quit your job, you start your business, and overnight you you get rich. Uh, there's a silver bullet where you just do one little shot, you fire it off, and you've got instant success. Uh, and we're actually going to call that a myth. We're going to call it the myth of the silver bullet, where it doesn't really happen like that. Well, we followed it. We recently looked at a few, you know, our Facebook pops up five years ago, you're doing this. <laughs> Mate, know. we had a few uh, pretty cringeworthy <laughs> silver bullet chasing moments. Horrendous. Should we go into one of them? Yeah, we had we, a, we which, had one, which one's the top of mind? I think the most embarrassing one's the the Kindle book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's something we haven't talked about. Actively one of tried things. to sh- shadow this away. <laughs> yeah. It's called Problem Solves and we got some virtual assistant to write the whole book and it's just bloody ridiculous. Just <laughs> finding a way for us to just put out all as Tim Ferriss yeah. says, like create a business architecture where you're not in it and you're just on the side, just the police <laughs> officer getting the payment income. It sounds like a great idea. Well, the, the biggest thing with the silver bullet the way it's sold is all you need to do is have enough courage. It's all about mm. having the courage to make the step. We both went to Tony Robbins, walked on fire, did all that. And yeah. all it does is one full day, it just boils down to this one moment where you just make the courage to make one decision. You quit your job. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a few, uh, I forget what I did. I did a couple of things. Um, and that, that's what you're sold to believe. And a lot of the time in personal development, it goes one step further. All you got to have is the courage, not just quit your job, but also pay for another 10 grand yeah. in, a, in a course, which you did as well. <laughs> I, I think I, uh, I've been watching these CoffeeZilla. He talks about everyone who's got you know the two grand course and the five grand course and the 25 grand course and then it becomes a 10 grand a month platinum membership and there's all yeah. these courses. It seems that each one, the next one is actually going to be the one that gives you the silver bullet. You think you just bought it, but actually, no, no. If you buy the next one, then you'll get the real silver bullet. Mate, when you come across someone who's bought a course or a silver bullet or something like that, yeah, how do you react? Uh, I don't think I come across many. I think people are too ashamed to admit it. No, well, I've, I've come across a few when you, when you hear they've bought the course the or start, something. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, They're still is hoping. it bad? Well, is there anything wrong? The very, well, we bought a silver bullet and mm. it made us do stuff and eventually we caught on to the bullshit. But if you don't actually have a crack at the very start and get led astray, then, you know, maybe that's necessary to I think try something new. I think there's positive uh, correlation with wanting a silver bullet as in, you you know, you want something different than the than the traditional, than the normal. You're, you're actively looking for something else and probably at first when you're 
uh, a bit more naive, then you probably do fall into some of those traps of the silver bullets. I think you can quickly recognize that it's not you know not just the easy get rich quick overnight type of thing and move on pretty quickly i think there's a there's a good correlation there i think yeah well i think it took us <laughs> took you a few years i reckon i sniffed it out after about a year i'll give you about 18 months i reckon what do you in reckon? hindsight it seems like a very you quick you still going to those things a bit longer than me <laughs> it seems like a very quick decision in hindsight i think oh yeah i did it once and then i uh, i realized that it was no good so i jumped out but if you actually went through if, you, if I went through the, the diary and, and, and realized, yeah, it probably did drag on a bit too long. So I think the lesson here is there's really no free lunch. If you want something and it's valuable, it's valuable for a reason. It's because no one else has been able to obtain it and because no, no one else has been able to obtain it because it's too fucking hard to obtain in yeah. the first place. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the journey to get something that's scarce. And I think there's uh, fake silver bullets everywhere. There's obviously in, in business, the silver bullet is you quit your job and start up some e-commerce store or write, your, write some e-book that you get an outsourcer to write and just sell it and you make lots of money overnight. That's a silver bullet. I think in health, if you go to the, you know, you're, you're eating burgers and ice creams and you think, I'm going to I'm gonna fix my health here. I'm going to go to a five-day uh, clean retreat where you're just eating veggies and soups and stuff and you think that then uh, you, you're cured. That's the silver bullet that's going to get you healthy. Or if you think in your relationships, everything should be easy, everything should be effortless. You think the silver bullet there is you just find, find the perfect person and you never have to work through a relationship again. I think they're all silver bullets in, in different areas of life. Absolutely. There's a few things at play here to really look past the silver bullet. I think survivorship bias is something really important to understand to, to really get or see where a silver bullet is. And what the bias is, is that you can only see the survivors. Let's say there's a thousand people out there. They go to start an e-commerce business and, I don't know, one person actually makes a million bucks in a year or something. That's probably realistic about what actually happens. Those 999 people, they're probably, well, they're nowhere really. They're yeah, working exactly. in a cafe. They're much forgotten about. They're forgotten about, but everybody can see that one person. And because of that one person, uh, you might be tricked into believing that's a successful industry when in reality what you should be doing is taking the average of everybody or even mm. more realistic, probably the median, which is <laughs> which is pretty much no one <laughs> to get a realistic answer. Yeah, exactly. And it, uh, tying sort of back to the, the people who are selling the, the different levels of courses and stuff, that they've got their testimonials. They've got that one superstar who rose from the ranks and uh, and just smashed it out of the park and made so much money. I guess there's probably a bit of question. You got a question? Well, is that how accurate is that testimonial and how much is it them fluffing up the numbers? But then more importantly, for that one person and for that one superstar, how many others tried this and absolutely just flopped? And how much was it luck versus how much was it? This is the silver bullet that's going to work for you. And going forward, as business as technology just disrupts a lot of industries and everything is becoming more and more scalable because of everything online, it is disproportionately going to say that one out of a thousand as opposed to in the past. It might have had, you know, two or 300 people who were successful in an industry. But right now on Google search, for example, you can only see the top five and you're probably going to click mm. on the first one anyway. Same with YouTube. And it kind of just ties in what we we're saying earlier about the, the Matthew effect that those who are winning and as the whole world is connected now, 
if you're the best in your community or your local town, it doesn't really matter anymore. You have to kind of be the best in the world yeah. in those scalable industries. Yeah, exactly. That's something Nassim talks about. Uh, Nassim Taleb talks a lot about in Black Swan about that, you know, 200 years ago, if there's a superstar opera singer in Florence, uh, she can sing one night in Florence, but then if the mayor of Rome wants to have her sing as well that same night, she can't be in two places at the same time, so they need to find somebody else who's yeah. in Rome who can sing as well. Whereas now we're saying that, okay, we've got access, we've got digital music, we've got online streaming. You don't need an opera singer in every single city anymore. You actually just need the one best opera singer ever that you can watch. And in, in fact, if it comes to opera, I don't know. I don't know how many people are watching that anyway. <laughs> oh, I was bringing a podcast. <laughs> bringing some we know, like uh, podcasting. What do you reckon the equivalent of that was in Rome? Uh, public theater, yeah, or public, something? yeah, public, theater, public speaking. Well, you got no, everyone just listened to Joe Rogan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like today, if you're the best public theater person in Victoria or something, oh, <laughs> Victoria's not the best place for it right now, is it? <laughs> yeah, it'd be very small crowds. But anything like that, you're competing against Joe Rogan, right? Like. In podcasting right now, anyone listening, they can switch off and listen to Rogan. If you're starting a podcast now, that's who you're competing with and all the very best people in the world. So, winner take all and it's more difficult at the very start. But I think uh, we don't want to end on a down note. We're obviously doing... (laughs) We're obviously podcasting. Yeah, that was a very. We did go really downhill there, didn't we? Same way you got no so chance. Sil- so silver bullets are okay if you want to go out there and start a podcast on something, or if you want to try something new. Everything like that we think is a very good idea, but it's just kind of being careful with how much mm. you put on the table. You're going to take. You're going to quit your job. You're going to take all your chips from everything you've done before and bet on this new silver bullet, as opposed to something who we've spoken about a lot in books, and that's just taking minimum bets. And tapping into uncertainty in a very mm. wise kind of way. Mate, I'm normally the one that remembers all the quotes word for word and who said it and which book it came from, but I can't, I don't, don't remember this one. There was a quote, I don't know if, if you remember, something about, you know, there's no silver bullets, so you've got to fire off a lot of lead bullets. Do you remember where that was from? It must have been early days. Anyway, that's, I think that's, you know, there's no silver bullet, but a good strategy is to shoot off a lot of lead bullets. Try a lot of different things uh, to work out what's going to work for you. Don't just think this is the, this is the one silver bullet. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to take all my life savings and invest it in this one new project. A better way to do it is sample off a bunch of lead bullets. They don't cost you too much. Yeah, I agree. And if you find something that you're happy to work for, for free on, for like for us, for example, we worked unpaid for three and a half years because we love reading books, then you're probably much more likely to get to the point where you can get the benefits of the getting through the dip, just assuming everyone knows what the dip is, and might even be able to make a career out of it. Yeah, I think if you look at the, the What You Alone podcast, I think if you look at us, we probably both... Um, from time to time thought, oh man, we should quit our jobs and go all in on this. I think if we had done that in the first year, that would have been, a, in fact, in any time, point in the first five years, it would have been a bad idea. I think if we had to quit, we had no income, we thought this is the thing that's going to do it. We'd have got, we would have got probably too desperate, too salesy. We would have been making online courses and books and programs and coaching mm-hmm. and we would have been trying to flog all this crap um, that probably wouldn't have been any good and we would have been so desperate to say, oh, this is the thing that's got to work. This is yeah. the one. We wouldn't have been taking any risk. We would have been reading a different type of book. It would have been all businessy stuff. We wouldn't have ventured into history, science, philosophy. We would have thought, no, we've got to stick to one very specific niche so that we've got a specific type of person that's listening whereas I think by having it not be our main source of income and not the main thing that we need to rely on for success is we've been able to experiment, risk, mm. try different things, get better over time. Yeah, and listeners can hear it in, in the voice. We've listened to, both listened to a podcast and we know this person's trying to monetize it and you can hear in their voice that they're really 
they're so desperate for for this to be their career path and and everything like that. And I kind of I think it turns you off as a listener when you can see how much <laughs> yeah. That is- and you see a lot of I think you see a lot of uh, and it's not just podcasts. I think it is podcasts, but it's also anything you know, new business, a new side project, a new YouTube channel, a new book where you can see that they're trying so hard that this has to be the one thing that has to work. They're desperate. They've gone. They've overinvested. They've put too much. Um, too much into it, they can't afford for it to fail. I think you can sort of sniff that out. You can sort of feel that it's it's probably not as good as it could be if they had taken a more measured approach. So that's uh, 200 books in. I think this quote just popped into my mind and I'm probably going to cook the quote. <laughs> but as the island of your knowledge grows, mm-hmm. the shore of your ignorance Ooh, yes. increases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go with that. I don't think that's exactly no, right. That's, pretty cl- that's close enough. But yeah. I think it's quite applicable to this. I think after I read 30 books, I just wouldn't even imagine what I'd be after 200 books, like mm. how smart. I just know absolutely everything. But yeah, I am at that point now where there's just so many different areas I'm just aware that I don't know. There's been a few times where I have been full cup rather than empty cup. I think that's always something good to reflect on. Mm. I've been around people who haven't read these xyz books and you're just like fuck you just want to <laughs> you just want to grab it and just smack them over the head with a book have you ever had that feeling oh definitely man you definitely. just want to you know the exact book and but they won't listen to you and, no. they, and they won't take the book recommendation no and it's hard to be an empty cup there yeah. you just you just want to slap them across the head no joke most certainly i think uh i suppose the the, the upside of reading so many books is i guess that perceived feeling of intelligence or at least a feeling of hey we're, we're trying to learn more you know by us reading reading so regularly where we've become the type of people that want to learn more and more things but i guess the downside of that is is thinking well how many have we already read how much more do we know than everybody else <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably the downside where well, it works against lot, you still a lot more to, to learn oh most certainly yeah most certainly the topics for me yeah started quite low well you know three to five topics but now it's branched out a fair bit and those branches have got sub branches now, and yeah. it's just never ending. And it's kind of like you get it. You always try and pull me up because everyone listening to the podcast. Sometimes I just sub branch out to niche on a quite a random topic. Yeah, which I've <laughs> got to pull that branch back in every now and then. <laughs> I think if I think if people are on the the email list uh, and they see the ratings and they see our our commentary on each book, they probably work out which one's a, an Adam Jones book <laughs> that's branched out. Um, but I think it's uh, it, it certainly is important to branch out. I think you can hit a bit of a limit if you're just reading one type of book over and over and over. There's a bit of fatigue there. There's there's definitely diminishing returns there for sure. So where to from here, mate? We've got a uh, six weeks lockdown. Thankfully, we've got eight episodes pre-recorded in the can. So mm. the, hopefully, there's uh, the timelines work up, and you actually don't even notice that anything went wrong. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, world could blow up, mate. Twenty twenty. <laughs> I, I suppose everyone's thinking, "Hang on, Melbourne's locked down. How are you guys still doing episodes?" It's not necessarily that we're, we're recording every single week. We've sort of planned ahead a bit. Yeah. Uh, well, we. I don't think we should have been in the last six weeks, but. We- we snuck a few in. That's all right. Good to get the we had to get the buffer up tonight. Yeah, we'll just have a few more Johnny Reds as the last night before lockdown, and yeah. in tradition, get get a, one of Big these burgers. <laughs> what do I call it? Earlier? The knockout burger. The knockout burger. I remember. I forget which which best of. I think it was maybe best of season two. Maybe. Oh, hang on. Where are you going here? It was oh. like double beef, double bacon. Maybe it was triple triple was beef, disgusting. triple bacon, yeah. triple chicken, triple cheese. 
Like it was like the it was a large, large the whole burger. point of it was just to knock you out. Actually, I think I think it was beef, chicken, bacon, cheese, beef, chicken, bacon, cheese, and Mate, it's fucked up. I think we're due for a few health books in the next two hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do a few more health books. Um, that was uh, that was some of our three meta lessons from the the second batch of a hundred books. So we did our our ten lessons from our first hundred books. We've done our three meta lessons from our second hundred books. Uh, we'd love to hear if you've got any specific lessons that you've you've taken away, whether that's a, a specific book that's really stood out or a specific group or, or topics of books that have really stood out or some way that you've weaved together 10 different books into forming this ultimate lesson. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, shoot us an email, podcast at whatyouwillearn.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you.